we human beings are a combination of sensitivity and resilience. We tend to go toward the next breath and moment, attempting to survive based upon fear and arguments of our history in a general way, rather than based upon faith in the success of our breath through our ancestors of all of humanity, including the ancestors of our family of origin into ourselves in this present breath, what Thich Nhat Hanh would call this wonderful moment. And then through the great mystery of the cosmos into the next. So I would like us to address the concept of trauma and grace because my experience is that this is where we tend to overly identify meaning with trauma and justification for self-importance rather than the humility and innocence of the next breath from the last breath from grace to grace. Let me use a circumstance of a baby being born. <clears throat> Some years ago, I was privileged to attend a birth, and as the baby was coming close to being born, there were body fluids from the mother, and one of the nurses got blood on the nightgown of the nurse and um, the articles of the um, older woman who was present. And people got upset with the nurse who got very choked up and was trying to hold herself together because she was the person really overseeing the birth. And so what was occurring is something very natural. There's saliva or earwax or mucus from our nostrils or urine or feces or bleeding these are all part of the body, like the sap of a tree and the pollen and, and the seeds which cast off the husk and take root into the soil so that the next moment of a leafing, flowering blossom might arise in the springtime. And yet, <clears throat> when we were in this moment of this beautiful child who's now in their first quarter of a century of years, successfully, beautifully living, does anyone even remember that that nurse existed? If so, what is her name? Where does she live? How is she? What does she do? How might she need our prayers, our presence here, breathing, contemplating, thank you, you who were the one person steadfast with that mother, father, in-laws, baby, staff, and me. 
you who out of eternity through the whole cosmos in the mystery of what I might call God came to be the one through whom that child rather than being a product of trauma because it was your understanding that the doctor needed to come when they thought it wasn't time and the nurse fielded everybody's arguments how did she know to do that? She fielded the mother, the father, the in-laws. And then she got yelled at, well, you know, there's blood. There's some blood. You got blood on. Trauma. Ugh. We are so traumatized by everything. We are not usually paying attention to the grace. And yet, the direction from which you and I arise at conception, gestation, birth. Blessed be all the people who've safely seen any of us here. Every breath, every moment, till now, into the next breath and every breath after that we are blessed to gratefully call our lives into our last breath and then out into eternity, however we philosophically discuss space and time. The direction of grace is, I might say, the only direction, and certainly the only direction to which one wants to bring one's soul's attention, one's spiritual heart's attention, one's incarnation's attention. Then what occurs is grace through eternity, everywhere, into the present moment where you or I are. It arises. And we have a discerning knowledge of love to embody. And this is always everywhere our classroom. I chose this topic because we're in the midst of a particular classroom of contemplation as a human race. Our planet is undergoing strong transformation of an era from the Anthropocene into whatever different environmental and biological scientists are naming the coming era. We observe storms in New Zealand this week and across many parts of our earth. This rainfall, that heat, this aridity, these winds, and we are uncertain what to do. There are so many mindful practices we can represent to live in gratitude as human beings to the best of our ability, caretaking Mother Earth, Father Sky, all of life, the elements, the plants, the animals, and one another and ourselves, so that out of innocence and humility and dignity, 
we virtuously embody the human life as best we are able. Then what occurs is rather than the constant blaming and canceling and negating of this nation and that religion and that political party and that person and that school teacher, instead of this reaction of um, a rather dishonorable signature, you know, I'm a human being who's just enraged. And I go, well, so? You don't think the volcano's more enraged than you are? They're like, what are you talking about, the volcano? You don't think a tribal person who has had all the rainforest burned down around them is not enraged, but maybe more asking the question, what should I do now? And it is up to you or me to be an adequate sibling of a human being on the earth beside them as elder or peer or youthful guide to say, you know, I in the town or the village or the city or the suburb or the other remote place and praying and practicing here, let me walk with you as best I can so that we might walk together you from this continent and me from this continent upon our shared home, Gaia, the Mother Earth. Then we begin to embody a quality, a capacity of heart, sentiment, remembered grace, remembered grace that moves through our temporal bodies, the parts of us that are conceived and born and will die, it moves through that so that we represent heaven on earth, a cup of the grail, an aspect of eternity here for you, for me. Oh, you of this tribe. And we are listening then and looking and smelling and tasting and touching toward grace and then, out of the mystery of the ages and the mystery of everywhere, what I would call God presents an answer born of that grace, just as you or I or that tribal person was born of that grace humanly, as a human being, that we might meet as holy family, in this breath and every breath forward and recapitulating or resolving ourselves historically every breath backward until we nod to one another, oh, you of this ancestry, you of this nation, you who came through that heritage, how shall we meet on this day in this place, all across Mother Earth. What occurs in the mystic's terrain is that God reveals to you when you live as this supple practiced instrument, God reveals to you an experience of grace that the soul can perceive. Once the soul accepts that unified 
blessing from God. One then knows a direction of virtue to embody as a gesture of that living, sacred experience that is your or my incarnation. And that is always what I am praying and practicing, 24 hours a day, to the best of my ability, as I have known in a number of remarkable human beings whom I've had the privilege to call my teachers and mentors and relatives and colleagues and friends. There is a quality of being so moved by such a gift that one is never longing for anything but that gift. <clears throat> I remember years ago being given a gift in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where Blaine and I lived for about 10 years in our work in the 1990s. And <clears throat> I taught a series of classes, and I was standing on a Friday evening and during the break, and someone came up to me and presented to me a very beautiful rosary. I've, I've told this story before, a uh, Roman Catholic rosary, a very beautiful uh, red crystals, uh, like uh, Swarovski or European um, glass, leaded glass crystals. And <clears throat> the person became quite emotional and stated to me that this was something that had been very important to them and they wanted me to have it. They, they knew they were to give it to me. They had an experience in prayer that they were to, to bring this to me. And so they, they placed it in my hands. And I, for a moment, received it. <clears throat> and then I nodded and I said to them, thank you, this is so beautiful. I know who it is meant to go to. And, you know, as I received it, I thought, oh, this is so beautiful. It was held by Mother Teresa and prayed with, prayed over by her. And then it had come into this person's possession. And so when they handed it to me, it had great meaning to, for me. And even as I received it, oh, this is so beautiful, how touching. So I long had admired Mother Teresa. I've had several letters from her. I was uh, able to meet her once many years ago in San Francisco. And took when we had a group go to Asia in the year 2000, we were able to go to the mother house of her Sisters of Charity in Indian spend a day working in her house of the dying and then go for the evening mass there and be right beside her tomb. I, I sat at the seat and knelt right by her tomb. And in the times when we were kneeling praying, I would put my right hand right right on her right on her tomb, the stone of her tomb beside me. So this point some years before, maybe six or seven years before, as the person handed this to me, it was such a gift of grace and physically received the two of us standing probably two feet apart from each other in this beautiful classroom in a Christian church where we were teaching a class on world religions very much received beautifully by people from many other faiths outside of the tradition of that building they allowed us to come together many people and so <clears throat> receiving that, within the next breath, I was aware that it wasn't mine to keep. And I could experience the receiving of the, holding the rosary in my left hand and then my 
my right, so I took it into the left and then held it with both hands. And literally in the next breath, realizing, oh, you cannot have this. It is to be born as a blessing into the hands of this other woman and man and their coming child who lived far away from me, thousands of miles. That child now is in university. Blessed be. Who are we? How do we find our next moment when we are receiving something in our daily life that is apparently not enough? My resources or <clears throat> my work or my relationship, they're just so hard. Or they're wonderful, but you know, what the heck, it's just okay, not great. And I speak of this because our culture right now <clears throat> is very much for trade. Almost everything is advertised to have you have a reactive opinion, kind of an electromagnetic opinion, or have you move to want more. I own this pair of shoes, I want the more expensive ones, or I own two pairs of shoes or a hundred, I want more. It's not, these are ideal for my hike, my work, my relationships with family. We tend instead to be present with an idea that no matter what we're going through, it's not enough. And so we react in this way that is uh, argumentative with each other all the time. A young woman will think, I have beautiful shoes for going to university next year. And when she arrives <clears throat> at the other community to which she's moving to enter university, her roommate says, oh, you, you have those shoes. <clears throat> Isn't that the color from last year? Oh, those are cute. <clears throat> I remember a young man going through this. Friend said to him, oh yeah, we used to wear those in like junior high school. They're really cute. They're really quaint or they're really, oh yeah, that's, you know, those were, we wore those when we were, you know, five years younger, when we were kids. It wasn't meant as a compliment. It was, I hold a position of power and I have to compete to keep building that power against you, against you not with you, against you. So it's an individual building the ego of, I am important, not I am, not I am who am, not I am of heaven on earth, but I am separate from you. And that's not the I am state, or the we are, or everyone, including myself. It's not a seed of enlightenment. It's like looking in a mirror, reacting against everything as a reflection of an inadequate self. As one awakens, the mirror starts to turn into a window through which we're looking and receiving the mystery beyond our, own, our understanding and attempting to live what we might understand beyond trauma into grace. So... <laughs> Shoes for a person in ninth grade are one thing. What about someone who says, I'm so much more sophisticated than that. My life is so incredible. What do you have for me, Beth? I go, 
the next breath. The mystery of how you are embodying to the best of your ability, being a person of grace beside every other human being on the earth. So that the Zen-like practice of your day is in gratitude, innocence, appreciation of balance, What shoes do you need to wear? Not a thousand pair. What clothing? What food do you need to partake of for health and well-being that is kind to the earth, its plants, its creatures, its other human beings, and yourself? How are you to serve that mystery in your soul and heart and life today? that you call it awake in every other human being to the best of your ability. <clears throat> and then we move from the catchword of trauma. I'll work with anyone from any age who'll say, well, my, my child had their teacher not call them by the pronouns they like today. We're thinking of trying to have the teacher fired. <clears throat> and I might say, well, what good will that do? Well, the kids are trying to get rid of her. I might ask, does anyone ask the teacher how they feel? They have 40 students in there trying to destroy them. Well, I know our, our, our child is hard for all of us now. I go, then why don't you have them help the teacher find a way through this? And you as parents and your teenager, maybe they'd like to talk to me. And then the child might say, I'm really sorry, Beth. I was just so mad about it. You know, some of the kids are me. And I go, I hear you. But using what you think is trauma to then hit somebody else is not healthy. And it is rampant in our world right now. So violence does not help anything. Where must one turn within in prayer, practice toward the next breath, that one awakens toward the mystery of God in all beings, including in oneself, and recapitulates letting go of all of the violence in oneself from this incarnation and through your family of origin, through your ancestry, through the human race, so that you can come into the next moment breathing, living, in prayer and practice, calling this forward in all other human beings, including oneself. Then you create that cup of the grail, attenuated to the grace. And then whatever trauma is present in your life, you are addressing, transforming it into life of grace. Here I am moving into the next moment of grace. Here I am, as best I am able, safely shepherding you into the next moment of grace. Then if we're dealing with something beautiful, we might turn and smile to one another or just in quiet meaning be reverent about what we're receiving. 
the internal state then of the homework, the work that causes us within to become at home in heaven. This is what we are accomplishing. This is our practice, always our practice. And then when we turn to something that is a argument of trauma, well, this was really hard for me. You know, my husband um, didn't buy me anything for my birthday. This is something I went through years ago with someone. He didn't buy me anything for my birthday. I said, that just doesn't sound like him. He must have done something. Well, he got me roses, a dozen roses. I mean, they were nice. And from the nicest florist in the city. Well, that's something. Well, and he got me a card, you know, and then he took me out to one of my favorite restaurants and he bought me something else, a dress, some other item. But he didn't buy me a piece of jewelry. You know, he always buys me a rather extravagant piece of jewelry and he didn't. And so I was quiet and then I asked, Gee, his birthday is two weeks after yours. What did you get for him? And she said, oh, I, I didn't get him anything, you know. It's just interesting. This was a place where this person and couple were caught in a pattern of not realizing grace adequately. All of us are guilty of this to some extent or another. One of the challenges in the culture right now is we've made a blood sport of it. We tend to ascertain that one is cool or hip or interesting or sophisticated if one is negatively edgy and condescending and hurts other people through a misuse of trauma. I can't believe that this wasn't ready for me at this time. I can't believe you didn't put the extra dinner rolls in the bag or you're, you're taking such a long time at the grocery store to ring up my charges and put them in the bag yourself. And you'll think, well, it's one person. Why don't you help them? They think, why would I help them? I just want to hurt them. I just want to traumatize them. So we've, we've done something very strange with our unrealized ego the mirror, mirror on the wall. <clears throat> We've been staying in an immature classroom when the earth is calling out everywhere. It is time for us to grow up now, the human race, and be receptive to the lessons of grace. And then realize, oh, there's argument going on in parts of our world of warfare. There are places where the earth herself has shaken as the vast earthquake in Turkey and Syria in these recent weeks. How might I pray and practice and be of service that my aspiration for every soul on the earth and very deeply for every soul experiencing these challenges of nature and these challenges of the dissonance of human nature are broken through 
by my attempt to bring forward the wish that each of those souls be blessed, be available to the grace heaven is trying to bring down for them. And although there is great loss, and we are observing and experiencing qualities that are true experiences of trauma, nonetheless, we are in the direction of grace within those domains. Then someone who is in the rubble of Turkey and knows that one of their neighbors is gone has you beside them praying for the soul of that neighbor, praying and practicing that that person who is living can feel light coming to them because you yourself are praying and practicing in the light of God every day. And at some point, that light of you as their elder, their peer, their youthful protege beside them, at some point you are standing in your own path in the direction of grace allows them to be given grace. That intercession of you within the divine on earth as holy family calls them forward out of the real trauma they are experiencing. They may have another neighbor rifling through possessions, trying to steal the jewelry and books and the debris of their deceased neighbor. So they think, oh my God, it's not just the earthquake, it's the corruption of human beings. And your prayers and practice can call them to their loving remembrance of their friend, prayers for the soul of their friend. The attention not on the corruption of everyone, but on the direction from heaven to heaven on earth for the sake of heaven in everyone, everywhere, always.